So this week, the Bond, the movie that we're going to be talking about is what I remember, John, as being my first Bond movie. Now, I can't, I can't remember if I saw this in the theater or what, but I feel like this is the first time that I saw a Bond movie when I knew it was a James Bond movie. I understood the James Bond mystique. Right. And I went into it saying, I, I'm excited to see this is the this is the James Bond movie. And so like for me, I have a lot of memories from this movie, the previous movie too, but I feel like I saw Moonraker after this one. Somehow. Right, almost certainly. Right. And I think that it's – I think that that's what we're getting into here is this stretch where I'm not quite sure what the demographics of our audience are. But I would suspect that it ranges from – my guess is mostly like 25 to 45 year olds. Probably. Yeah. seems to me like people younger than 25. I'm sure there are many of you and God bless you because that, you know, everybody knows the youth audience is, is where the money's at. Uh, and I'm sure there's also many who are older than 45, but I'm guessing, you know, 10 years younger than me and you, 10 years older than me and you more or less is the core of our audience. And so we're getting into the stretch here where we're going to start running into what was the first Bond movie that people remember being a new Bond movie during their lifetime. And I feel like even like everything in life, I don't know what, what you call it, but I feel like it's a natural part of living in modern Western society that stuff that happened before you were born is old and stuff that happened after you remember is like modern times. <laughs> That's right. So like me and you think of the Atari 2600 as being pretty cool and we know it's old, but we think of it as part of modern computing history. Yeah. Whereas somebody who's 10 years younger than us thinks of the Atari 2600 the way we, me and you think of like black and white TV. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, like like this was that thing that, that like really right. old people thought was fun. And I'll give you my, – my best example is the Kennedy assassination, which is obviously a huge, huge right. part of the last 50 years uh, you know, in post-World War II America. Yeah. Huge, huge thing. But I, for my entire life, always thought of it as being something that happened a long time ago. Right. Whereas the truth was it only happened a mere 10 years before I was born, right. which is almost nothing. You think about stuff that happened 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 years. I still remember 10 years ago in great detail. Right. Ten years ago is when they first released the, the iPod. Right. Right. So like Hard when I was believe. born, the Kennedy assassination was as fresh as the first iPod. It was not that big. But I feel like it, it, I feel like the way people view the Bond movies is like that. Like where, you know, if your first one that you remember being new was like Timothy Dalton, then you know, I think you see Roger Moore very differently than yeah. than, than before. Yeah. And I think you you kinda have to look at them that way. I feel like the filmmakers started looking at it that way too. Really? I don't you think that for your eyes only really really reeks of like that they have like index cards right and it's just got all of these like <laughs> James Bond say. elements you yeah, know yeah yeah ski ski chase uh, yeah uh, ski chase underwater chase boat underwater chase car chase. chase right yeah and that they just sort of like picked a bunch of these and but, put them up but the flip side of that John is that don't don't you feel like at least from that standpoint that every every one of the things you think of as being like a Bond thing, they are all in this movie. They are. But every I feel one like of them. I'm I, not saying they needed them all, but they're they're all there. But right? I think that that was true for The Spy Who Loved Me as well, and that The Spy Who Loved Me was done deftly. It was done in a way that it was like on the other side of the curve of 
doing it in a way that felt novel and invigorating and that this one is on the on the downhill side of that where it is it it really feels like like formulaic i it's very li- i mean it's not as bad as i remember but this is a really disappointing movie Number one, the opening is absolutely horrendous. I think it might be it's it's without to me it's without question the worst opening of any of the movies we've covered so far. There's so I mean so I agree with you completely on on that detail. I, I will say though, I really do still you know I still enjoy this movie despite the fact that it has both underwater scenes and skiing. Uh, there were no pigeons doing double takes. There was a do- and there was a parrot. Right. And the parrot was absurd, but I, I, overall, I do enjoy. The, I like this movie. But here's the thing about it. like I don't. There's nothing memorable about this, no. and the chase scenes went on way too long. Definitely, but, but the intro is it was the worst part of it. There were I, there were aspects of the intro that I liked. Like I thought it it was somewhat of an exciting intro up until about halfway through it, and you're like, come on. Now, what is it? People asked on Twitter about this, and I was going to ask you about this. What does it mean? I'll buy you a delicatessen in stainless steel. What does that mean? When did he say that? I didn't hear that. This is right before Bond dumps him down the tube. And he says, we can make a deal. I'll buy you a delicatessen in stainless steel. And my understanding, I researched this. And my understanding is that the, the... and this doesn't seem to make much sense, but this is what the not named Blofeld, but clearly Blofeld <laughs> says to Bond right. to negotiate with. Him. Yeah, I didn't. I couldn't hear what he said. He's basically I? saying, like, I guess it's supposed to mean something like, uh, "I'll give you a really good deal. I'll, I'll give you something amazing." I think or whatever he must. You whatever it is that he said isn't isn't that I'll buy you a deal. It must you be mistranslated. Think? I don't think that's Every, what everybody on the internet seems to think that's what it is. It doesn't matter. The whole thing is just so awkward and bad and really, really cheesy. It's bad. Uh, so it starts with Bond at, at his wife's grave. And this is a, now this is a throwback to uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And they're saying this is the same guy right. who, uh, you know. Did you read about why they did that? I, I read that it was because the movie was originally supposed to ha- introduce a new Bond. Yes, that, that exactly. Roger Moore was ready to, to hang it up. Um, but I, I haven't heard if they had anybody in particular in mind or if it was just written. I'm not sure I buy that, though. I just don't. And that, I guess the idea was you introduce a new Bond and by, and by showing him at her grave and having him fight Blofeld again, that it's sort of just to, to – what better way to introduce a new guy and say it's it, this is the same Bond is you know he's the guy who had his wife killed by Blofeld and then he fights Blofeld. Uh, it doesn't make any sense though. It doesn't. I, it wouldn't have made a good introduction with a different actor. And it, if you're if you wrote something special as an introduction to a new actor, but you'd signed Roger Moore again anyway, why right. wouldn't you rewrite the opening? So I'm not even sure I buy that. What was what was the point of it then? Now, part of it is that you have to understand the legal problem that the Fleming estate and because of the way the rights flew for, go from Fleming to the Ion production, Eon Productions for the Bond movies that they lost the rights to Blofeld and Spectre mm-hmm. because of the whole Thunderball thing. And we're getting up on Never Say Never Again where that comes into play. And that's why after Diamonds Are Forever that there were no more – Spectre was never mentioned again 
even though it seemed pretty clear at the end of Diamonds Are Forever, though, that Blofeld was dead, dead, dead. Right. Um, uh, I mean, it was, they didn't show him die. It wasn't like he Bond shot him, but I mean, he was in that, on that burning oil station at the end of Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, he's not getting out of there. Right. And so I thought it made sense then that that's why he wasn't fighting Spectre anymore because it was sort of like. It was shut down. It was over. Right. Right. He's got to move on to move on to other more modern problems. Right. Um, you know, and I thought it was also a way for the series to get away from, you know, you know, to, to reinvigorate the series and have different enemies and stuff like that. Um, but that's why they didn't name him Blofeld in this opening is that they didn't have the rights to it. But I guess there was, they felt like legally secure having a bald headed guy, you know, in a, in a, in a Blofeldian, uh, whatever kind of suit that yeah. is. Uh, and I guess he was wheelchair bound because of whatever happened to right. him. Right. It was to say that he was still alive. He wasn't right. himself. But, you know, there were so many things about that. Like, let's say he did survive the thing and he was stuck in a wheelchair and whatever else. He's up on a roof by himself. Right. It just doesn't any. Yeah, it just doesn't seem to make any sense. Doesn't seem to make it doesn't make any sense. Lots and of crossbows in this movie. What a stupid way to get him into a helicopter. Right. It's like. I'm going to, you know, and, and it, they didn't say what day it was, but let's presume it was the, the anniversary of her death. Right. Which I think is probably a safe assumption. And so that Blofeld knows what day she died on because he's the one who killed her. And he predicted that Bond would go visit the grave and that he could send a helicopter to pick him up and tell him it was the Secret Service. I mean, is the priest in on it? I, don't, yeah, it I, I felt like the priest was in on it because right. when he does the uh, – that gives the, him the, the blessing, cross, the, the cross. blessing. That's like that was the indication to me because the first when I watched that, I was like, "Well, that's kind of creepy. Why would he do that?" But it then he had to sense. know. And in a way that he kills him, it's it's it, uh, an electric. It's, see, here's the here's the thing that just why seems kill really the pilot? Weird. Yeah, well, here. Okay, so so look, it, it's clear that blow that was Blofeld's helicopter. Right. right. Like, shouldn't Bond know by now not to just get in any random yeah. helicopter that shows yeah. up? Like, he gets in everybody else's car all the time, but that's a car. Like, a helicopter, you're probably going to die anyway. At least know whose it is. So he, he gets right in. So if Blofeld has the ability to completely rig a helicopter, I'm not getting in. First of all, I'm not getting in a helicopter, period. But second of all... If there's a helicopter and it's got like a sealed, you know how you get in a taxi and the guy has a sealed thing because he doesn't want the drunks following right. on him and trying. Yeah. To, if you get yeah. in a helicopter like that, it's already a bad sign. Just don't get in that one. And then it's just the whole way that he, you know, once he takes control of the helicopter, he scoops him up, scoops up his his wheelchair, wheelchair on a hook, right? Drops it down there. But I'm, what I'm saying is, if if Blofeld is capable of completely commandeering a, a helicopter and and sending it out there all rigged up, why not just put a pilot in it with a? Pa- Again, we're back to the parachute thing. Right. But why not have him just rappel out or something? And, and I, right. I don't, why not I don't have talk a about this anymore? Why not have upset. a button? Like yeah, even if you want to spend a couple minutes toying around with him steering it remote control, wouldn't there? Wouldn't you also have it rigged with a button to blow it up just in yeah. case something's bad? Yeah. It, it, it's ridiculous. It's stupid. Stupid. A lot this of taking really pulses and ever there a lot of taking pulses. So was that bad. popular in this at this time period in the late seventies to take someone's pulse? Because clearly there's many scenes in this movie where somebody's obviously dead and Bond or somebody else walks up and takes our pulse. Did you notice right. that? At least two, if not three times. I've never seen that in a Bond movie before. He looks over, oh he's dead. And yeah. in this movie it's like 
Do you notice that his fingernails are real long? Yes. Creepy long. Yeah. Somebody somebody sent that to us a couple weeks ago. I guess there was a shot of Roger, close up of Roger Moore's it's fingers. True, though. In a previous one. It's got really long fingernails. Yeah. And what I felt, I felt in this movie, now Blofeld in the previous movies, you know, he has the cat and everything else. But now my, my three year old is into uh, Inspector Gadget now. And I really feel like, you know, seeing that and seeing Dr. Claw. I feel like more than ever was encouraged by this movie in particular, right. this particular rendition right. of Blofeld. I just wanted to, draw, to mention that. So when I was in fourth grade, one of our songs in fourth grade choir, which we were all required to be in, it was not optional. It was not like I chose to be in choir. We were all had to be in it, was For Your Eyes Only, the song. It's <laughs> oh, such a bad song. When this was our song. I still know all the words to it. It's a really bad song. And it's so bad. And this was bad the first song. time that uh, that they had the performer of the song in the actual credit. Right. Yeah. Sheena Easton, right? I think so. And Terrible. originally it was supposed to be a different song, also called For Your Eyes Only, sung by Blondie. Wow, that would have been cool. Yeah. Blondie's great. I bet she could have knocked it would that have out been of better. God. I think it was it just it just shows that there's a correlation, you know, between the quality of the song and the quality of the movie. Yeah. All so right, if, next if scene if, is actually pretty good. Okay. It's a good good setup for the movie. All right. That, so you that, you tell us. Well, the you know, it's I'm gonna assume everybody listens, but that the British have like a secret uh spy vessel. Looks like just a run of the mill shipping frigate, but deep within the center of it it's it's a it's a British naval spy ship and it has this uh you know, secret MacGuffin console called the ATAC, which can control nuclear missiles. I love, I love the sta- totally stainless steel room that they're operating. Right. They hit, they, they accidentally hit like an old war, World War II mine and uh, it sinks the ship. Well, I've got I a question it's an about accident. that. It, I, I think it's an accident. I don't think that they were, I don't think that they were uh, sabotaged. No, they were not. But it, here's my question. If, if you're a spy ship, and the ship, this wasn't like they had a, a compartment in a regular ship. I mean, this, the whole point of the ship was it, it was a spy ship. But if you're a spy ship pretending to be a fishing vessel, why are they bothering to actually fish, like with nets and stuff? Like, oh, why? keep it up. Oh, you got to keep it up that way in case they're being observed. All right. You've got to do that. You got to have good cover. Okay. No, I'll, I think, I'll buy yeah, I think that. that's I think that's actually uh, smart. I think you got to do that. All right. Because So they pull in a mine. The mine blows the thing up. And they don't they they're not able to deactivate it in time. Right. And so there's the MacGuffin for the movie. Because the they got it they've got it and it doesn't it's not deep enough waters to, to think that the depth will protect it. It's right. they've gotta they've gotta get this thing back. So that's a good setup. Good setup. Them. Good plot. Uh, So then uh, M's on leave. I guess I did. I, I think I remember reading this, but I didn't look it up. Uh, I guess Bernard Lee was ill. I don't know. Does, can the, can the uh, maybe the chat room knows the answer to that? Yeah, I'm guessing that Bernard Lee was ill because he was certainly getting older, and they didn't want to recast the role. And so uh, Bond reported to the chief of staff rather than M and the defense minister. Boy, Money Pennies, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Money Penny went from like an older lady to an old lady. Yeah, she. she I'm not saying, and I'm not even saying that they should have recast her, but no, I'll say it. They should have recast her. 
I don't know. Because at this point, she looked very much like a a somewhat marmy older secretary and seeing her and uh, Roger Moore sort of flirting. It's like your grandparents flirting when you're a kid, you know, first time first. And I don't know if, I don't know if only we'll have to see in his remaining films, but I believe this is the first time that bond came in with a bowler hat and, and tossed it onto the, uh, well, it wasn't the first time he came in with a hat and tossed it. I actually was glad to see him do that, but bowler hat. I don't No, I think it was the first time with the hat. I don't think Roger don't Moore think did he, the hat thing before. He didn't? No, Roger Moore. No, you're okay. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Yeah. Right. This was definitely the first time Roger Moore did it. Right. Definitely. I have that in my notes too. Sort of stretching the credulity of men's fashion nodes. The hats were very clearly, I don't know that they were ever more out than they were in 1981. Now you're jumping ahead. You're jumping past something. What am I um, jumping past? The, the scene where uh, they shoot up the yacht. Oh well, who cares? Well, I that that's the introduction of uh, Melina, right? Who is played? I have I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but I, I'm assuming it's Bouquet, Carol Bouquet or Bou- right. Bouquet. Right. She's 53 her- today. She still looks amazing. She's a, I think she's a great Bond girl. She's a good Bond girl. You had her pegged right away as one that Bond would bang. Oh right? gosh, instantly. Yeah. Right. Especially when she survived that hit. Yeah. Then you know she's in. So. Bond comes in. M is not there. But who's this Georgie boy instead of him? Who's this? That's the chief of staff. Doesn't matter. So Worst M's guy. not there. They give him them. They they give him his mission. That the, that they've they know who killed the uh, they know who killed her parents. He's he's at some kind of resort in Madrid. So Bond Bond's back in the White Lotus. Yeah. Now now it has. I, turbo I don't even want to get into detail about this scene. I really don't. I just want to say that it was terribly terribly choreographed. Yeah. Did not seem very action filled. They did a horrible job making it seem like Roger Moore was in any kind of physical condition at all. Yeah. I mean, he really looked like he was physically laboring. And then it, it, the guy smashes the window of the Lotus and blows it blows up. up the Lotus. Yeah, we talked about that way early on. <sighs> like the like worst five thing That's terrible. I actually think it's kind of a clever idea if you could write it well that somehow Bond has an awesome Bond car that's nearby but because they've got to get out of there immediately like one you know some kind of clever bit of writing that that they're separated from it somehow and instead they have to drive you know this this yugo or whatever the hell it was uh, <laughs> that's an interesting idea that that you're in the bond and you're right. here and are introduced and are in a car chase and he can't drive his awesome bond car which would render the whole chase moot with the gadgets and with its you know high performance and instead they have to drive like the worst car possible that's interesting but to set it up by saying that the car was armed with a thing where if the glass breaks it blows up i mean (laughs) so bad terrible like why not and we know that they've he's previously had cars with bulletproof glass so why not just have it wouldn't it be equipped with bulletproof glass where, a, a, you know, a shot from a, you know, a, a, a guy hitting it with a, with a gun butt wouldn't crack the glass? It's just terrible. It was uh, really – I remember seeing this as a kid, watching this movie, watching that happen. I was so bummed out because I'm like, why would, why would he let somebody destroy his car like that? Why would like, that ever be an option unless he – it just seemed nuts. And he didn't would, seem phased by it. Just off the top of my head, like they're running away. He's like, come with me. They start running towards his car and that's where all the bad guys are coming at them from. That to get to his car, you know, the car is on the other side of like the the half a dozen bad guys chasing them. And so they're like, oops, we've got to turn around. And she's like, my car is this way. 
and you go that way and you get into her car and, and just go on. There's no reason to blow it up. Blowing a car up like that took it just it takes you out of the, the whole totally thing. does. Uh, now despite the music, what did you think of the car chase itself? I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I thought Except it wasn't you could bad. see you could see numerous times uh the 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 support crew for the stunt. Yeah, I didn't like that either. It was horrible. I mean like I don't know how they thought they could get away with that. Clearly they knew. It. I mean it's it's some of the worst edited stunt footage I've ever seen where they uh, you 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 can just pause the movie and see like three guys, three big guys with nets just stand, you know, not part of not characters in the movie. They're just like guys who are there to catch the stunt car as it comes down the hill. Horrible. Basic idea wasn't too bad though. No, I thought the premise of could it have been great. Could, could have, have been, been yeah. could have been one of the all time great car chases in movie history, and instead <laughs> it was it was it ended up pretty bad. All right, so th- then now they go. Bond shows up, and he's got to do the facial recognition thing. He's got to do the portrait of the guy so that right. they can find him. And uh, they go into the room, and this is what I want to say: How come it looks like a like a, it's almost a dark room? The room goes red. Well, I'll give him that. I'll, I'll grant right. you that, that it looks more high-tech if you turn the lights up. All right. I'll grant him that. I'll grant him that scene. All right. So they go. He, he's able to completely recreate the guy's face in, in what looks like very basic lines. And then when it prints out on the dot matrix printer, it's the guy's face. No, you know what, though? I wasn't sure if that was that or if that was the fact that they had matched it to the real matched guy. it and yeah. they'd gotten a photograph of the suspect. Maybe that's no, it. no, they did because the computer gave them the biographical. Oh, that's right. Yeah. OK, I'll buy that. It was right. a cinematic way. It was a cinematic way. It was corny if you take it literally, but it's a cinematic way of showing that the British Secret Service has an advanced computer thing where you can if you describe a face in enough detail, it will match against known Right. criminals from around the world i'll grant them that i think that was actually pretty pretty good so now they go out to uh the, where alps. Are they? the alps was it italy i don't even know somewhere okay, in the I alps. Don't know. doesn't matter here's a problem with this i have a problem the fundamental problem with this is that they're there way too long and that part of the formula of a bond movie is that you go from one exotic locale to another but mm. you've got to keep going you got to keep going you can't stay in the one setting for too long and they were in the alps way too long yeah so I love how in the horse-drawn carriage, basically the scenario is there's a young woman repeatedly asking, please stop. I want to get out. Stop. Over and over. And then all Bond says, oh, no, no, keep going. And the driver's like, all right, I'm going to keep going then. Well, what would you do? Uh, in 2011, if I'm driving a, v- a vehicle of some kind and there's a woman saying, I want to get out. Please let me right. get out. Uh, guess stop. what? I'm going to stop and let her out. I'm not going to like kind of wink at the dude. Yeah, all right, we'll keep her in here. No problem. I'm not stopping. What if he looks like a good tipper? <laughs> maybe, maybe in Italy that goes. Yeah, I don't know. What about the the creepy skater girl, Bibi? And and then she fifteen. Inst- She's supposed to be fifteen years old. I did not way. know that. I'm not sure how anybody was supposed to know that, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure either. She didn't look that ridiculously young. She certainly didn't look that much younger than what's her name natasha whatever what's what's the hero heroine's name? oh the, the the main girl that she's uh uh melina melina she didn't look that much younger than her i mean i i did get that she was supposed to be younger yeah but it didn't she didn't look it and so i felt like that whole coming on to bond and he's you know like pulling her off thing 
I can see what they were getting at, but it really only served to emphasize how old Roger Moore is. <laughs> no, it really it did. did no, it, it did. Was, it did. It was weird. And I mean, has there ever been a time in a Bond movie where there's an ostensibly attractive female coming onto him where he's not reciprocating? And I understand. I'm glad he didn't because she wasn't. You know, she's physically attractive, but she was so annoying. Why make? Okay, she was very annoying. Why make? Wouldn't it have been more in line with Bond in general to have made her be twenty-one years old and have him have him get in a bed with her? Like, wouldn't that go along more with Bond? I don't know. I also didn't buy the whole way that he got suckered into it, where the guy was just like, "She'd like to know if you'd take her." And Bond's got you know an important mission, and it doesn't really seem <laughs> right. like taking her is going to help at all. Seems to me like he would have begged out of it and just said, "I'm sorry, I have a I have an appointment I cannot break. I would love to do it. I would be my pleasure, but I have an appointment I cannot break." Right. See, uh, and that's the kind of, that's the difference between the 1960s, early 70s Connery and the 1980s Roger Moore. Is it Roger Moore is. Con- you know, content to kind of go along and be this fuddy-duddy. And and, And then then we get to the chase. This is the longest, most pointless, endless chase where nothing happens. Right. They stretch everything out. Every aspect of it out lasts way too long. Uh, Including, but the writing is just bad. So we've got this East German guy who's apparently a world-class biathlete. Yeah. Now, the biathlon is a fascinating sport because it takes two things that you would never think you'd combine and combine them. I, I, I don't go out of my way to watch it when the Winter Olympics are on, but if, if I'm flipping through and it is on, I will watch it. It's cross-country skiing mixed with target shooting. Very odd. But kind of awesome. It does sort of seem, you know. It seems like if you're going to combine two of them, they almost seems like survival skills in a way. seems like a lot more of the Winter Olympics could, could do with some guns. <laughs> that's all I'm saying is it takes a sport that would be a little boring you put a gun in it and it kind of I think it picks it up I think that like women's figure skating should figure out a way to, to include target shooting you know what I mean like you do oh, a couple of those like super fast spins you're dizzy and then you gotta like you gotta blast like a plate out of the air or something I'm just saying but anyway this guy is a world class athlete right <laughs> participating in an event he's not practicing it's an actual race going on yeah that he le- is apparently doing well in, but he leaves the race to go kill Bond. Yeah. Like, if he's secretly a KGB assassin... He's blowing his cover right there. Isn't leaving the race in the midst of the race... Uh, and he's right there at the bottom of... Yeah, like, why not be just in the lower third and drop out of the race, and then no one's going to notice? In fact, if you are a KGB why agent, why have, do you want that much attention? If that's what you wanted to do writing-wise, why would you have it be a race? Why, wouldn't, why not have him practicing... Established right. that he's a world class athlete at practice, uh, and then he could leave and go chase him and kill him. But the fact that he was in a race, it 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 it, it defies belief even by Bond standards. Uh, some bad cuts and stuff like that, like the you know, like the whole thing where he's pinned at the top of the ski jump, and it's like, what's he going to do? There's a guy behind him. Who's right, gonna shoot guy behind him. him. The who's, guy up on the other way, he's got to go down and got to got to right. uh, do the jump. And there's guys at the bottom who are going to shoot him if he jumps, and there's a guy at the top who's going to shoot him if he doesn't jump. And uh, 
so he jumps and then like turns and jumps over the, you know, it doesn't, def- it just defies belief though, that going at that speed that you could make like a 45 degree turn on a dime. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense at all. I uh, very, very just pointless and stupid. Right. And so no matter how good of a skier you think James Bond is, and let's just grant that they've established through numerous films, uh, prior to this, that he's a great skier. I, I, I'm not quite sure that he's a, he could ski jump. Yeah. Did Sean Connery ever ski? I don't, I don't think, I don't think Con- he ever skied. I don't think he ever skied. We haven't seen Never Say Never Again, so let's see what happens there. So but, at dinner after the casino, do you remember what Bond orders? To drink? Uzo. Yeah, Uzo. Weren't when, we just talking about Uzo? I think we were, but when in Rome. Right. And this is just just I like this touch. I thought this was a nice touch. And it basically says he's not a one trick pony. You know, right. he he's in he's in town. He wants to get in the spirit of things. He's going to have a little bit of a different drink. Why not? Right. It's and a, it, you know what? And I feel like it was a hint, it was a hint that that guy was actually a bad guy. You know, the guy he was talking to who was trying to that there was like two shipping magnates. Yeah. Is it La, uh, not, not Locke? What's his uh, what's the guy's name? He goes on to play the bad guy in the third Indiana Jones movie. That's right. He's also the commander, the lead commander in the Adats in uh, Empire Strikes Back in the Battle on Hoth. That's right. Right. But anyway. Pretty cool dude if you think about it. I think it's a subtle hint. At the time, Bond is led to believe that he's a good guy. He's got an award from the British government and he's, he's helping Bond in the case. But I think it's a hint that he's a bad guy, that he orders a whiskey instead of an Uzo. Mm. in Greece. I don't know. I love Columbo, though. That guy is the best. Which one's Columbo? Columbo is the guy who is he's sort of like he, he's he's kind of like a mobster gangster type guy, but he doesn't deal in heroin. He does everything else. Oh, right, right, right. You know what? He reminds me exactly, though, of the guy who was Teresa's father in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, no, they have they do have something in common, but this guy was way cooler. No, I thought the other guy was cool. Really? I thought that guy was. I thought he was a little stuffier. This guy rolls up his sleeves and gets in the thick of it that with guy his men. Remember, he led the helicopter assault on Blofeld up in the mountains. Yeah, no, you, yeah, I still think this guy was cooler. I, I like just, this guy better. I, but I feel like it's another one. This guy of those, was a man's man. It's another one of those borrowed elements from previous films. Though. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, have, I'll go along with that. We're gonna have a gangster, but he's a good gangster, and he only deals in pistachios. <laughs> the guy literally says, <laughs> "Yeah, he's every smart. scene." He, but he smuggles. He says, like, I only smuggle booze and pistachios. Right. Like, is there really a big black market in pistachios? I have to tell you something. It's hilarious. And I don't, I don't know if this was like a subconscious remembrance from my childhood. I was eating pistachios during this movie. I had no idea that he was going to say that. And I just totally bust out laughing because I'm sitting there eating pistachios. So of all the times you want a car to blow up, it's when he kicks the dude's car off the cliff. That that's yeah. when and of all the time in the past, if if a, a, a car gets a flat tire, it's going to blow up. In this I'm movie, glad the, I'm glad they I would have loved up. that. I thought. Did you think that the the breathing sounds for Roger Moore running up the steps were off? <laughs> they, it's like he has to race up these steps to beat this car, <laughs> right. and it really sounded. It, it's like the worst possible thing. It sounded like he was an old man, like a winded, out of shape old man. I didn't, you know, I didn't make a note of that or anything, but I'm remembering it now. And yeah, that's pretty bad. 
like it was a lot of steps. It was a and lot like, of steps. And he's he, and it's really important that he gets up there. But the way that they put the sound on the soundtrack was it just emphasized the the way that Roger Moore, you know, is just he was really pushing the limits of the role. That's funny. What about the hockey assassins? Gosh, it's stupid. One that of the worst so stupid worst action scenes in Bond history. I think it's got to be. Ah, so so according to this is some notes from the Wikipedia page. According to Roger Moore in the DVD interview, he was reluctant to do the scene where Bond kicks the car uh, over the edge, saying that it was it was Bond like, but not Roger Moore Bond like. Uh, Michael G. Wilson corroborated this, adding that he and Richard Maybaum, along with uh, John Glenn, toyed with other ideas surrounding that scene, but ultimately everyone, even Roger Moore, agreed to do the scene as originally written. In the same interview, Roger Moore also recalled his great fear of heights, which was a problem since Bond had climbing scenes up the side of a cliff. Moore implies he resorted to moderate drinking to calm his nerves. <laughs> it does seem like a Sean Connery move. It does. Yeah, like a sort of spiteful, yeah. enjoy, you know, look at me before I kill you type yeah. thing. Now, I, I, he, so here's another interesting thing. that The underwater scenes... Anytime that they show like a close up of them or anytime they're actually doing something underwater, it's this completely preposterous fake underwater scene. Well, apparently, uh, Carol Bouquet had some kind of health condition that prevented her from doing any actual underwater huh. stuff. So that's apparently the reason that they were actually had the you fake think, underwater. You'd think you'd know that before you cast her in the role. Maybe she was just so pretty that they did. I'd say, well, forget it. We'll make it work. It was good to see him in a casino. That's one of those cards, yeah. you know, those cards where you, well, you know, it's been a two, movie or two since he's been in the casino playing Baccarat. See, that's one that I will grant, I'll grant you that you've got to get him in a, you got to get him into casino. a tuxedo and into a casino yeah. and hopefully playing against a bad guy. Do you want uh, him in a black tuxedo or a white one? It depends on the, on the era. What would you prefer though no, for this? I think in 1981 it had to be black. I yeah. think he looked perfect. I think the white the white tuxedo was out. I think he looked great. I think he looked absolutely perfect. So no, who was I, he playing I, against? It wasn't really he wasn't playing against. It was anybody. nobody important. It was just some guy, some guy with a, a weird lazy eye. So I did some research and I found that indeed uh, the company my uncle worked for, Perry Oceanographics, made the Lotus sub as well as the outfitting the Neptune submarine. With its engines, the Neptune sub is pretty cool. Yeah, I guess it seemed like uh, though it could take a lot of abuse. Like whatever the other sub was doing to it, it was yanking cables off of it, pulling everything off of it. And it still just kept working. See, like, why would you have rubber cables on the outside of the sub that could so easily be pulled off? Well, I, I think though, it's if you're a scientific exploration type thing, you're not really thinking about getting attacked by another sub with robot pinchers. I'm not quite sure. You know, okay. I'm not willing to say that 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 that. Right, uh, I hear you. So I'm not quite sure why. Who was the guy he was playing Baccarat against? It was just some just random a guy, guy with a glass with a glass eye or lazy eye or something. Yeah, like was no, nobody important. He really beat. I mean, he really beat beat the hell out of that guy in yeah. Baccarat. I mean, he really put a beating on him. See, I think that just shows you that Bond is pretty good at cards, and he could probably beat most anybody that he wants to beat. And this guy, he could care less about. He wasn't trying to remain low profile. He was just playing cards to win at this point. Right. I guess that money's his. Do you know the rules for Baccarat? Do not. 
It's a pretty interesting game, but it's actually played two entirely different ways in Europe and in the United States. The United States version is very boring. Uh, the European version, which they call Chemin de Fur, and that's what the guy says when he when when the bad guy double crosses him and sends him away with the Duchess, um, and he's like, "Well, take my car. I'll stay here. I'll play a few hands of of Chemin." In other words, he's going to play Baccarat. Um, European Baccarat is you every two guys. That's it. Two cards, um, and the point is to get a nine. So, you know, and it's, it's like adding up like blackjack cards. So the points are the same. So like a f- two phase cards adds up to 20, but you just discard the first digit. So that's a zero. That's like the worst hand you can get. A four and a five, a two and a seven, something like that. Uh, or like a king and a nine. Those are nines and that cannot be beaten. So if your first two cards add up to eight or nine, eight or nine, that's called a natural and you just flip it over. Nobody can take any more cards and... Whoever, if it's a tie, it's a tie. And if, if one guy has an eight and the other guy has a nine, the nine wins. Um, if it's anything other than eight or nine, you can decide. You as a player get to decide whether to take another card, one more card. So when they say cod, they, they say it with that crazy, you always say it with that French accent. You don't say card, you say cod. <laughs> um, hopefully it gets you closer to nine. And doesn't matter though if it doesn't. It's not like blackjack where you can keep hitting. You only get one card. Um, in the United States, it's all by rules. That's the, what makes it no fun in the United States is, and I don't even know what the rules are, but if you have a five, then you have to take a card. It, mm. it, so you don't even get to make a choice. There's a dealer from the casino who plays it all by the rules. Um, what makes this game cool is so it's sort of like blackjack where you're taking cards and trying to get up to a number, but it's also sort of like poker where you can try to read your opponent and guess you know, what would he do if he had a five? Would he hold it because five's a little bit closer to nine than not? Or would he take a card? You know, and if you get, uh, if you get like a nine, then you can probably guess that the guy started with, you know, one, two, three, or four, and then add the nine and guess, well, that's, that's probably a bad hand. Yeah. Uh, but you never know. You don't know. What if he had a 20 to start with? If he mm-hmm. had, you know, he would certainly take a card, then the nine gives him the best possible hand. So you've got to, you know, take this all into consideration. And, and so, like at the end, Bond had a five against the guy, and the guy whispers, the odds say to, to stay because five, it's not good, but it's not, not terrible. Bond takes another card, he gets a four, so he's got a nine, can't be beaten. Pretty good game. Sounds fun. I, I would love to play it. But you can't in the United States. Different, a uh, whole different thing. Yeah. Seems a little cruel, though, that he just beats the hell, takes takes like a million francs off the, or whatever the yeah, Germans. Just walked away Greece, with it. Greece, that's Greece gambling, though. Yeah, that's it. So, I like when he turns to the, to the driver and says, I won't need you anymore tonight. Yeah, just dismisses him. Yeah. So I read that the film was uh, intentionally, they wanted to bring the series back more to reality. Uh, Moonraker, believe it or not, was a huge success. Right. So they wanted to go back to a more traditional, almost Connery-esque Bond story trying to focus on, in this case, the Cold War. Right. But they wanted to make a thriller. They wanted to, to make a simpler, more straightforward. You know, there was something important at risk. Uh, clearly, having the ability to give subs orders to launch, I mean, that's a big deal. But it wasn't like, 
we're saving the world. Every single thing we do is saving the world. I mean, in a way you could say it was, but yeah, I give, I, I think that the basic premise was a good, I like the, I like the end. I like the end when he's got the ATAC and uh, we got the KGB guy, the head of the KGB walking out of the, the chopper and he like puts his hand out like Bond's going to hand it to him. Right. Like he doesn't, he doesn't even, he's not like, oh, I guess it's James Bond. Like if I walked out of the helicopter, I'm all along, I'm dealing with guys who are keeping a super low profile. These are guys who are clearly bad guys that I'm dealing with. And now Bond's there instead. I'm not, I'm not going to just, I'm going to expect to get shot or something. Yeah, because they have all the other guys from the, the gangster's crew with them who just don't conveniently don't show up at the end. Right. Right. But that didn't seem like they suffered any casualties. So they still had five men and, and the girl. Yeah. You know, and, and Colonel Gogol only had his pilot with right. one gun. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, didn't seem like a good. And thing. then Bond chucks it off, and and this does explode when it goes off. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't look like it blows up, but they played a very loud exploding sound. <laughs> it, it exploded. Looked- From my standpoint, it exploded. <clears throat> Something happened to it. Would have been funny if it would have gotten caught in a tree, and then Google <laughs> would have just gotten in his helicopter, gone down, gotten right. it, picked it up with the hook of the helicopter. Right. Flown off. So the, uh, this is more background on this. The original poster, and you can see this on the Wikipedia page, uh, had a woman, she's holding a crossbow, and she's photographed from behind. And she's wearing what you would consider to be a modern-day bikini bottom or bathing suit bottom. But back in, I guess, 81, this was not, this was not something that uh, you would normally see. And the, the model wore a pair of regular bikini bottoms backwards. So the backside of the bikini is actually the front of the suit. She's got it flipped around. And uh, the note that I was reading said that uh, while, here's the quote from this, while the image is considered tame by today's standards in 1981, it caused outrage. The studio was forced to create several versions of the poster with superimposed garments covering the offending area. Huh. And a little note for the font nerds, uh, the um, when when this thing went on TV as ABC's Bond Picture Show on June 29, 2002, uh, they still had the same background with Sheena Easton singing through the intro and things like that, but the opening titles were changed. The original typeface was uh, Helvetica. They changed it to Franklin Gothic for this. Why? Uh, when it, I don't know. That's uh, I'm just reading the notes. I don't believe that. It's a fact. So that's it. What's next? What's our next Bond? Uh, Your favorite. I don't remember what's next. Is Oct- it View to a Kill? Octopus- Octopussy. You know what, though? I have one more thing to say about this. I know we okay. want to wrap it up. But yeah. The whole thing at the end at the monastery, what a beautiful setup, right? When you first saw it, and it's like, where is this? I would like to go there and see wherever this is in the world, This, these incredible rock found formations that are so high up in the air, right? All of a sudden, you're thinking, hey, this movie might get cool again. Right. Like a, a secret monastery on top of a cliff that you can't get to. I love it. But they played that out. That it it's like twenty five minutes and it's it's all of these things that should have been like a minute long are twenty minutes each. Like twenty minutes of him climbing up a cliff. Yeah. three three times the guy is trying to chip off his things for the red rope. And then what about the secret path the rest of the crew took up? They they like ducked into a cave 
Why, why wouldn't everybody go up that way? <laughs> a lot of little holes in this. One. The whole fight scene at the top of the monastery looked bad. Yeah. It was so clearly a film studio set. Like the lighting, you know, it was all supposed to be outside, but they were so clearly indoors. It was really bad. Uh, and it just went on and on and on. I mean, there's only like five guys on each side and it, it was like a 20-minute fight. And then the, the thing at the end with Margaret Thatcher, I, I don't see how we could close this without talking about this. <sighs> I was hoping you wouldn't bring it up. I really I, was. I, I, now, this is something I do not know. I can only surmise just from the way that it was handled is that the producers of the movie were not fans of Margaret Thatcher, you know, and that this was somehow they were, you know, that they were very, you know, or they, or it was, it was for whatever reason, it was good to poke fun at her for whatever reason. They made her husband. (laughs) Yeah. He was worse, but it's just, it's such a ham fit. She's actually a pretty good Margaret Thatcher impersonator. I thought, I mean, at least from my memory of what the real Margaret Thatcher looked like and sounded like. But it's such a bad joke. Yeah. It's really Where bad. She's talking to a parrot and she's, I guess the joke is that she's pretty dim because she can't even tell she's talking to a parrot. And, and then he says, uh, how about a kiss? And she's like, ooh, James. Oh, so bad. It's really bad. Really terrible. Really, really, really terrible. Embar- I think the filmmakers really embarrass themselves. Yeah. Really do. Really do. Terrible. Really, I mean, just just terrible. Yeah. So we, we one email we got, John, was it somebody was saying, I or maybe this was Twitter, I can't remember. They were just basically almost saying, you know, why are you guys doing this if these movies are so bad? Why are you reviewing them? Why are you talking about them? But maybe you would address that. I th- I still think they're worth watching. I do. I just, but I think that I think you criticize because I think there's in a, in a bunch of these there's a missed opportunity that they could have been better, mm. right? And like you said, Moonraker was a huge hit. I don't know, maybe this one was too. I mean, these were hit films, you know. But there, to me, there's something interesting about what it is about some of these Roger Moore ones that, to me, clearly does not hold up. Right. Whereas, uh, like the Connery ones do, and I think it's you know I think that's worth talking about. I realize that as a business, you know, when you make a motion picture, especially these big budget movies that you've got to, they need to, as a studio financially, you need to make, you need to do what it takes to sell enough box office tickets. And and, and in today's era, also, you know, the immediate release of DVD and Blu-ray and stuff like that to make your money back, to turn a profit immediately. But hopefully you've got to keep in mind too, how the movie is going to stand up over time. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I, I and I think that a lot of the ways that these don't, they should have known all along that they wouldn't. Instead, it's, it's just and like the music, the music in this movie, it's it's just bad music. It's not that it's dated, right? Because the, all the movies, the music in the Connery movies, uh, is dated in that it doesn't sound like new music. It doesn't sound today. It sounds very sixties, but it's it's good and. You know, it it therefore stands the test of time. Whereas the the music in this movie is just bad music. It's really bad. Like if the if the photography of the movie were as bad as the music, it would have been like out of focus. Yeah, the whole thing would have been blurry. Right. Octopussy next week. Yeah. So go watch that. 
Did I tell you this on the air that when it first uh, that's that might be the first one I saw in a theater. I think you did tell me that. Yeah, I think you did. I I think I said this on air. If not, I don't know. But it was. I just remember that I was. I was worried when it came out because I desperately – I was already a fan of the movies from seeing them on TV and I wanted to see Octopussy and it was new. But I was afraid my mom wouldn't let me go because of the title. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't care, did she? And I remember that like when I said like my friends and I were going to see it, that I said, hey, we're going to go see the new James Bond movie. And she was just like, go ahead, go, have fun. But there was no way I was going to go say – I was going to say we're going to see Octopussy. Yeah. <laughs> just James Bond it's called James Bond movie you're done alright alright that's it yeah I'm glad we kept week. it to an hour like we talked about well you know it's an hour except for the Bond part we started the Bond part right at right at an hour exactly alright good show alright man see good one see you next week <laughs>